0: Well, we are starting lesson number eight today on heaven. And I'm not going to review all those things we've discussed up to this point. I'm going to make one comment, though. And How often have I mentioned that we need to be ready for tomorrow? We need to be ready for when Christ returns. We need to be prepared to meet Jesus today. Well, I'm reading one of the reference books I'm reading on this series is David Jeremiah's book on heaven. And in one chapter of this book, I didn't realize this, but in one chapter, he gives a very... A practical and sobering fact that kind of backs up that that theory that we need to be ready and he says this pastor Jack Arnold was 69 preaching on heaven and he was referring to John Wesley's quote about being immortal if you don't know the quote John Wesley basically said we are immortal until our work is done and then once our work is done we're no longer immortal as soon as we're finished Jesus takes us home And after saying that quote, Pastor Arnold goes on to say, and when I get to heaven, and that was all he said. He didn't finish the sentence. He had a massive heart attack and died at the pulpit. Got my attention. Reverend Gary Langstroth died as he began his sermon on the love of God. Daryl Edwards, his 55, he died just as he finished wanting the church to be ready to meet the Lord. Ray Edmond, he's a Wheaton College professor. He's preaching in the chapel that was actually named after him and he collapsed as he was preaching and he died. And then I come across this verse in the Bible when I'm reading my devotions, Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Okay, I'm alert. I got my attention. But the point is, like I said no one's guaranteed tomorrow and we're all gonna be at this point at some time in our life whether it's when we're hundred years old and no one's surprised or when it's 55 and everyone is surprised so when that day happens what is going to happen to us why well, we've been talking about heaven obviously and we when we die we've talked about going to a place that the Bible calls paradise but eventually, that paradise is going to wind up on this planet as new heavens and a new earth. The Bible calls it that in Revelation 21.1. Paul, or John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Isaiah 65.17 says, Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, so wonderful that no one will be able to th- even think about the old ones anymore. Isaiah 66.22 as surely as the new heavens and the new earth will remain, so you will you always be my people with a name that will never disappear. So there's going to be not only paradise, when Jesus talks about new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, it's going to come to this planet, what the Bible calls a new heavens and the new earth. Now how does that come about? Second Peter 3.7 says this, And God also commanded that the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment. When ungodly people will perish. But you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise to return, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so He's giving more time for everyone to repent. Now, I'll stop there for a moment. We know that all, pretty much or every Bible prophecy that has been mentioned about Jesus' return has been fulfilled. So the only thing that is holding back the return of Christ is his willingness to have everyone come to know Christ. Now we know that's not going to happen, but he gives us time to continue the work that God's given us as a church. And verse 10 says, But the day will come when the Lord will come as expectantly, unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. Since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy, godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that He has promised, a world where everything is right with God. So we know that this time is coming. We know that we'll either be in paradise or we'll be here waiting for the rapture to happen. So what are the events? I'm going to go real quickly through the events that are going to happen to bring this about. The first one that we're expecting, the first event that's going to happen is the rapture of the church, that we're taken out, the church is gone. 1st Thessalonians 4.15 says, I can tell you directly from the Lord, we who are still living when the, Lord, when the Lord returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. That's the rapture, the dead go up first. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, all the Christians who have died will rise from the graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. First Corinthians 15:52. it will happen in a moment in the blinking of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died will be raised with transformed bodies. And we talked about that. And then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. So that's the next thing to happen. And that could happen today. That could happen tomorrow. That could happen before I'm done. And the Bible says there, knowing that's going to happen, we, needn't, we need to be ready for it to happen as if it would happen. we knew it was going to happen today. The Bible says, you know, you ought to live godly lives in anticipation for that. I think I was, I was talking to Dick yesterday. We were at the wedding, at, at Tyler Landis's wedding. Nice, nice place. Beautiful place. But We were talking about people who aren't involved in God's kingdom anymore. They were here once, and then, then they leave. And it's a struggle because we want people to be ready. And the Bible says if you're not ready, you're not going to make it. We need to be ready for that. The thing that happens after the rapture is the rise of the antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2:7 For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. That's the Holy Spirit, that's the church. Then the men of lawlessness will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Daniel 9:27 He will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of 7 But after half of this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. Then as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the end that has been decreed is poured out on this defiler. So we get the church is gone. Antichrist reveals himself. First three and a half years are peaceful. Second three and a half years are horrible. That's what's next, the tribulation, Matthew 24. The time will come when you will see that what Daniel prophesied spoke, what he prophesied, what the Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes des- desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person outside the house must not go into pack. A person in the field must not even return to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and mothers nursing their babies in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter on the Sabbath, for that will be a time of greater horror than anything the world has ever seen or will ever see again. In fact, until this time of calamity is shortened, the entire human race will be destroyed, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. And then Zephaniah 1.14, That terrible day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes, a day when strong men will cry bitterly. It is a day when the Lord's anger will be poured out. It's a day of terrible distress and anguish, a day of ruin and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, of clouds, blackness, trumpet calls, and battle cries. Down go the walled cities and the strongest battlements. That's what's going to happen on this planet. We think we see in the news now that things are bad. That ain't nothing compared to what the tribulation is going to be like. The Bible says you're going to want to die and you won't be able to die. You want the rocks to fall on you to kill you, but that's not going to happen. So there's other, several other events that happen as well. The Battle of Gog and Magog, and halfway through the Tribulation, the Antichrist breaks his treaty, persecution breaks out. Then you have the Battle of Armageddon, the Binding of Satan, a thousand years of peace, which we refer to as the Millennium. And then at the end of the Millennium, the devil's allowed out for a time, which brings about the final battle. And then at that point, comes the Great White Throne Judgment. And we talked about this. This is for the people who were not believers. The believers will have already had their judgment and rewards this is for all the unbelievers and this is the part where God says basically you want to do it your way all right let's look at your record and the first time that sin is mentioned in our lives and we haven't repented and asked Christ for forgiveness God says that's that's enough one sin is enough and you're not going to make it to heaven and then finally after the great white throne judgment then the new heavens and the new earth occurs Now, how does that happen? Well, the Bible says that it's consumed by fire, right? It's burn up. Some people believe that the world will be destroyed, totally destroyed, and then recreated as new. Other folks believe that the current system we have will be totally renovated as opposed to being destroyed and recreated again. And I think that's the the way that we're going to talk about today because I think that's the way it is. 2 Peter 3.7 says, And God has commanded that the heavens and the earth be consumed by fire on the day of judgment. Now it sounds like it's going to be gone. But the word for consume, consume is actually the word to lay out or lay bare or expose. And it conveys the idea of being uncovered and, and laid open for exposure, like you lay something out in the field for exposure by the sun. It also means a stripping away of everything and getting back to the original elements the way it was designed in the Garden of Eden. Now, how many car guys, any car guys in here? I I like car restoration shows. You ever watch those car restoration shows? They bring in this heap and they sink a ton of money into it and out comes this beautiful car. Now, on the good ones, what they do is they, they sandblast it, which wipes away everything down to bare metal. And then they cut the rust away and replace it with good metal. And I think that's kind of how the world is going to be. There's a lot of rust and decay on these cars, a lot of stuff that needs to go. And the sandblasting takes all that away. And the cutting takes all that away again. And I think since there's a lot of decay and death here, that will all be stripped away, laid down to the bare bare earth, the way it was before, And then God rebuilds it from that point, kind of like the car. Revelation 21.1 again says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and old earth had disappeared. And now the word for new here is the word kainos or kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S. And it means new in terms of quality, not new as as created new. And the same word is used in this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Now, we know that when you are a Christian, God does not destroy you and make a new one. How many remember the old Bill Cosby routine about his kids? He says, I made you. I can take you out and make another one just like you. How's that for an altar call? Come to Christ and God will just burn you to the ground and make a new one out of you. That's not how it works. God makes us new, a newness of quality. So after all these end times events and God burns up the earth back to its core, He rebuilds it into the perfect place that it was intended to be in the first place. And at this point, now the New Jerusalem descends on the new heavens and the new earth and we will live there forever. Now remember, New Jerusalem is just a city in all of the heavens and the earth. We'll have the whole earth. It's the same heaven, same earth, just purified and brought back to where it has before. Now, using the car illustration, the old car comes in full of rust. Body putty, dense dings, broken parts, like that one up there. That's how it comes in. That's the old earth. And that's the new earth. With a lot of horsepower (laughs) what it what they're doing is they're bringing it back when you restore a car you're bringing it back to exactly how it was designed when it came off the showroom floor I'm not I don't like modifications anything I like it exactly how it was built and that's how God God is going to destroy the earth to wipe everything off the earth that is impure and death and decay and rebuild it back to exactly the way it was when God first created it before sin came in before anything happened to destroy it. What else is gone? What else is not in heaven? Oh, maybe. Revelation 21.1 continues and says, and the sea was also gone. Now, does that mean there's no bodies of water? Well, we already know there's a river flowing from the throne through Jerusalem, right? Well, I, I looked this up, and there's a couple of theories on this. And The, the majority of folks seem to think that Right now, Earth is mostly water, but it's mostly seawater, salt water, right? Can't drink it, can't really irrigate with it, can't do much with it. The only, thing, the only reason it's there is because of the, you know, evaporation, rain, that whole cycle. Other than that, sea is useless for us. When I was in college, I was up in by Erie. And at the time, this is in the mid-70s, Lake Erie was so polluted that you couldn't swim in it. I told you, can't can't swim. can't go in the water. Now, I think it's been cleaned up since then. And in Pittsburgh, there's three rivers. And Pittsburgh's a steel town, so we have all the steel mills were along the rivers. And all the rivers for the longest time were p- polluted and all kinds of stuff from the steel mills, so you couldn't swim in them or do anything in them, really. Now, in heaven, I think... The sea, the useless seawater that we have here will be gone. But now you'll have perfect, clear water. We talked about the river being crystal clear. You ever go to a lake that looked just like glass? It was perfectly beautiful. Just nice. Imagine what it's going to be like in heaven when everything is perfectly clear. No, no algae, no none of that stuff in the water. You can't live on the ocean unless there's a body of a land mass. You can't really live on the ocean. You can't do anything with it. But in heaven, there will be crystal clear, no impurities, no salt, no decay, no pollution. Perfect bodies of water. Not like the ones we have today, which are imperfect. And here's another thing that's going to be, and we kind of know this, I think. But the Bible says the curse will also be gone in heaven. Now, what's the curse? Revelation 22, 3 says, no longer will anything be cursed. Who knows what the curse is? Back in Genesis three seventeen, God said to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, now there's a sermon, but I'm not gonna preach that one. Because you listened to your wife and ate the food I told you not to eat, I have placed a curse on the ground. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you eat of its grains. All your life you will sweat to produce food until your dying day. Think of it this way every single thing in our life that goes wrong is a product of the curse. Every illness, every difficult situation, everything that is deteriorating is a part of the curse. You ever feel like life is such an uphill battle all the time? How many of you garden? You like to garden? I don't like to garden because I have a black thumb. Everything I plant dies. And I don't have the time or the patience or I just don't want to keep playing with my garden. Why? Because if you don't tend to, it, what happens? Weeds come up. The stuff, it just, it goes away. We tried a garden this year. We planted a little 4x8 garden outside the house. We had some things, that, little plants that people gave us, and they grew. I don't know anything about gardening, so I planted a whole bunch of this stuff in this little area. And you know, three months into it, I got like this forest. <laughs> and I can't get to anything because they're in the middle, and the, it's tomatoes and everything. It's just a mess. And so finally, I was, you know, end of the season, I got to rip them up. Yeah. I got a handful of tomatoes out of it, so I spent like $300 to get $5 worth of veggies. And, and a squash. Yeah, I got a squash. But if you leave that alone, leave it to itself, it just is overrun with weeds. And you got to always be at it. And, and he says here, all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you that's what life is it's this full of all these things that come our way difficult situations illnesses life seems to be an uphill battle death was introduced through the curse not only our death but everything's death all of nature you know if you leave things alone weeds every time will overtake anything how many have ever seen the, the old movie, Logan's Run? It's a science fiction movie from the mid-70s. Good movie. But the theory of the movie was everyone was housed in this, this bubble and the rest of the world was just let, let go. At the end of the movie, you see them escaping into the world and you see all these buildings and stru- stuff just overtaken with weeds. It was it was actually in you know, D.C. and you stuff like that. All the Capitol building was just overgrown with weeds. The statues were just grew overgrown with weeds. Everything is is on its way out, and if you leave things alone, it will ultimately decay. I'm no scientist, but the second law of thermodynamics tells you what. Everything is winding down. Everything eventually decays and goes away the world is in a constant state of decay and deterioration if you leave your house go and don't do anything to your house what happens it will decay you don't paint stuff it will eventually fade you don't take care of wood that's outside it will eventually rot everything is in a state of decay my uh, my grandparents when I was a kid they they got a color TV no we didn't have a color TV at the time if you old enough you know that and it was a 25 inch console so that was like amazing so we would go over and we would sit and we would you know pack up our stuff and go to my grandparents house to watch color TV well they bought it and they unless we used it they never used it and they left it unplugged for years And you know what happens if you leave something unplugged like that, it just doesn't work. It just, you plug it in and it won't work anymore. That's exactly what happened to their TV set. They never used it, and yet it deteriorated and decayed. The world is in a constant state of deterioration. But once the curse is gone, no more decay, no more deterioration. You know, we say no more sickness or suffering or pain or sorrow. That's why. Because the curse is gone. The curse is lifted. There is no decay. We don't, our bodies don't decay. We don't get older. Although someone's asked me what age we're going to be in heaven. Bible doesn't tell us, so I don't know. Close with this. Be early again. Even though the world is cursed, and everything is in a state of decay or deterioration. How many know you can still see and experience beautiful things? We were at Tyler's wedding yesterday, and I, I, we were at a place I never knew existed. It was like a farm setting. It was just set up for weddings and beautiful place, beautiful scenery. Look around; all the trees and the leaves are changing. You know, we went to the PA Grand Canyon. Just these beautiful views that are out there, and you know, there's sunrises and sunsets. There's just awesome beautiful things in nature maybe we have a lot of God's blessings as well material blessings maybe you have a nice house nice car good health all these things that are blessings the Bible says every good and perfect gift that we have is from God so everything we have that's going good for us is from God now let me ask you a question you ever walk through a mall or a downtown street and someone's handing out little toothpicks full of food yeah why do they do that sample it why Because they want you to go in and buy it they want you to go in and eat right and they want you to see how good it really is but they only give you enough to make you want more right <gasps> one little piece isn't enough especially if you're hungry one little piece isn't gonna do it All the things that God has blessed us with, either materially or scenically, nature-wise, is just a little toothpick taste of what it's going to be like. We see these beautiful things out here and it's awesome, but that should make us want more of it. The toothpick full of food is just a sample. This is what it's like inside. Go in and have a whole plate of this. All the stuff that we have here is God's little toothpick of a sample. We should want more. When we see the beautiful things going on, we should want more of that. We want to see more of it. These things that God has given us is designed to make you want more of it. The old hymn, Blessed Assurance. There's one verse in there that I thought about. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. What we have here, the beauty, the riches, the blessings, all we have is just a small little toothpick sample of what God has waiting for us. This should really be a piece so small that it only is enough to make you want more of what's up there or is going to be down here. You know, we say we're anxious for heaven, we want to be there, but no one wants to leave yet, and I get that. But the, the thing is, it's something that we have to plan for. It doesn't happen automatically. Most of you, I'm sure all of you know that unless you have Christ in your life, to forgive you of your sins, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be in that perfect place we're all anxious to see. And even if you do, The Bible says we live these lives, we want to live holy so that we're ready for when Christ comes back. You know, Jesus gave the example of the farmer in the field not not doing anything the master asked him to do, and then finally the master comes back and nothing's been done. He says, "You're you're not worthy. There are things that God calls us to do, lives we have to live to prepare us for that. And the more that we know Christ, the more we should be excited about doing those things, living that life, being honest before God. Are you anxious for what God has? Are you preparing yourself for that? And as we said at the beginning, it could happen. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. Don't let, you know, the Bible says. Just because Jesus hasn't returned, we read that verse, don't think that God has forgot about returning. He's just waiting for the moment when the last person hears the gospel who needs to hear it. And at that moment, God's going to return. Christ's going to return for us. And the question is, are we ready for that? Are we really ready? The Bible says examine yourself. See whether you're in the faith. Are you ready for Christ's return? Would you stand as we close this morning? Just you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. We mentioned earlier in the series that just like we plan for a vacation and we anticipate and we look forward to it. We plan all year, we prepare, we make sure everything's Every I is dotted, every T is crossed, and we're ready to go. And yet we persevere through the year until that vacation comes because we're excited about going away. That's exactly how our life should be. We do our work, we live our lives, we honor Christ, but man, we are looking forward to the day when that vacation comes. And God says, okay, your job is done. Just like he told Hezekiah, pack your bags, you're going home. None of us know when that's going to be. But all of us should be prepared for when that day comes. If you're here and you're not prepared for that, and you don't know that's exactly where you're going to go, then this is the day you need to make that choice. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks, wanting you to open it. He says if you open it I'll come in I'll fellowship with you which means I'll forgive you of your sins cleanse you from your unrighteousness and make you able to get to heaven if that's you and you've not done that yet but you want to be sure that you're gonna to go to heaven I want you to raise your hand that's who God's speaking to if you're watching this at home Maybe during the week or today, if it's streaming or later this week, if you've never accepted Christ. This is the day to do it. The Bible says today is a day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week. Because we couldn't be here. We might not be here next week. So if that's you, I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for allowing me to realize that I am a sinner and that nothing good lives in me as the Bible says. But the Bible also says the gift of God is eternal salvation, eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead then you're saved. If you believe that in your heart then God's already come in and made made your heart His home. And if you're praying this prayer, you've already believed it in your heart. It means your life is transformed. For everyone else, if you're watching and you're, you're not really ready, you, you know you trust Christ, but you're not ready for heaven. You're not living the way you should live. And you know that. We all know when we're not doing it right. I pray that God continues to fill you with His Spirit so that you have the desire the want to, and then the ability to live for Christ in anticipation of His imminent return. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You give us something to be excited about, something to look forward to, something that is beyond what we're able to imagine here. You've given us a a little toothpick of of a Description of what heaven might be like. So we believe that heaven is going to be so much more than we can ever imagine. I pray that all of us are ready to make that journey. Whether it happens today or in 100 years from now. We want to be ready for that time. So Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit fills each one of us this morning. Allow us to leave here with a renewed excitement, a new anticipation, but a new desire to be revived in our spirits and continue to do the work that God has called us to do because we know that his time is short. Bless us as we leave this morning, Lord. Allow our lives to be a reflection of the goodness of God. Your word says the goodness of God brings people to repentance. Let people see how good you've been to us and then allow others to want the goodness that we have. Lord, I commit each one of us to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a tremendous week. See you Wednesday. Time change. If you don't set your clocks, you'll be here early. That's good.